0: Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and just ask that you would do your work in our hearts and lives. We ask you bless our time together in your Word, and in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. And if you need an outline, kind of wave your hand there. I think there's some in the back. Uh, not sure if Jason or Philip was passing those out, and. Uh, going to try to kind of summarize and finish up our our study on truth or imitation. Everything that God offers the devil offers an imitation and uh, we have true biblical uh, authority in the Bible we also have, and imitation, biblical authority, we have true biblical teaching, we have false biblical teaching, we have true uh, uh forgiveness, and we have uh uh true uh freedom. We've we've dealt with several different subjects here. And, and tonight um Uh, I I didn't do a a thorough uh, thorough job, but I I think came up with about 555 references where the word love is used in the Bible, one of its forms. Uh, That doesn't count beloved and charity and all of that. If you put all of those in there, it would be uh, many, many more times than that. And so, um, let's just turn to John chapter 3, verse 16. Uh, if you do not have this verse memorized, uh, it's one of the few Bible verses uh, that you can uh, uh, memorize just by hearing it because it is so often quoted. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I think the newest fame to this verse was the fellow that committed suicide this week. Put it on his face as he died, somehow trying to reach out to God. What a! Uh, if he knew anything in the verse, he wouldn't have had to resort to suicide. Because this verse is the hope. This verse has the truth. And yet so so many people think they're beyond God's love. Well, just read the words. It doesn't say, For God so loved the elect. That's how the Calvinists read it. I've actually read their commentaries. It's amazing. Well, the Bible says, for God so loves the world, but we understand that's the world of the elect. Now, again, talk about false teaching. There it is, illustrated. When God says he loved the world, that's, that's what he means, amen? And this verse has often been called the Bible in, in summary or the gospel in a nutshell. I think I heard a preacher preach a sermon on that many years ago. This is the central theme to the entire Scripture. This entire book, everything that's in it. What is one of the greatest accusations the world loves to render against the Bible? It's full of judgment, right? But it's full of the story of God's love. Even God's judgment teaches us about his love, does it not? Um, I've quoted this so many times, love without boundaries is nothing more than slavery. There, there must be uh, an understanding of what love is. And the Bible says simply that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Then there's a condition that whosoever believeth on him should not perish. That's the condition. They will have everlasting life. But you must believe God's message. And we we come here and, and just looking at the word love for a few moments, uh, you can look it up in the dictionary. Love is a verb. Love is also a noun. But... The idea of the word love, even when it is used as a noun, it still has an idea of action involved. For God so loved the world, verb, that he gave. Verb. There's a connection there. And uh, we've got another verse here. It says, if ye love me, Jesus was speaking to the disciples, if ye love me. Verb, keep my commandments. Verb. Um, The next instance is, but let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed, and in truth. The instance here is you can take the word love and you can say, I have love, I love you. One of the problems we have uh, in the English language, is that there's basically one word for love. And we say, I love pizza. Especially with anchovies on it. And uh, But when I say, I love my wife, I, I would hope and pray that she would understand it's not the same meaning of the word. Amen? Uh, when we say we love God. Uh, we love our children. We love each other. We we would hope that there would be a different passion and a different level of understanding than I love to watch a good movie. Or And these are things that people talk about all the time. But I want us to take a moment here and look in Revelation chapter 2. This kind of sums up. The, the point I'm trying to make here at the beginning, Je- Jesus is speaking to the church at Ephesus, and, and he has an accusation against them. He has a, a grievance that he uh, brings uh, to them. In verse 4, it says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Now, this is a noun. It says, you've left your first love. This is a problem. Now, verse 5, here's the remedy. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works. You see, even though they left this state, this quality, if you... Uh, prefer the proper uh, grammatical term for love uh, being used as a noun. It's a quality. The church at Ephesus had left that. They had changed that level and God said, here is the remedy. I want you to remember where you used to be when you had this quality of love and I want you to do the first works. And so the idea of love just simply being a feeling or an emotion is totally foreign to the Bible. We, we believe that we love people and oftentimes people will say, well, I'm just, I'm just not in love with him or I'm just not in love with her anymore. Well, wait a minute. That's so foreign to what the Bible deals with with love, because love deals with action. Love demands something to happen. There is a connection between this thing called love and behavior. And when we break that band, when we change that and just say, listen, I love you because I have good feelings toward you. Uh, the only passage in the Bible that really speaks about that is in the books of James, where it says, uh, when you say to someone that's in need, be ye warmed and feel, filled, what good does that do? And, and we, we live in a world where we are trying to judge what we do by how we feel about something, rather than what we do about it. If you really want to understand why American politics have been uh, uh, especially horrid in, in our foreign policy is because we've had a past administration that just wants to deal with how we feel about things. And the best way to do that is to say, oh, I really feel for this and then never do anything. And it's one of the problems that we're facing is now... Something's going to get done and people are terrified. Pray for our president. Uh, 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 He is going to do something. And uh, we we need to pray for him as we never have. But one of the problems is we've accepted this idea of just feeling good or having good feelings towards something is going to change it. And that never has. That's not love. And your love... Is should not be feeling or emotional oriented. How many of you have ever had a sinus infection? Or ulcer type symptoms? I had a friend in Cleveland, he described an ulcer this way. He said, you got to get better to die. And uh, if you've ever had those kind of problems... You, you understand what he's saying. You, you get a, a really good sinus infection going, and there is just nothing you can do but lay in bed and cry sometimes. Uh, you've got to get medicine. You've got to get something to change whatever's caused that problem. And um, what we're talking about here is love is in spite of how we feel. Love isn't because I just look and I, I feel this way. I, I, I like to put it this way. Women marry a man for what they see that he could possibly be down the road. Men marry a woman because of what they see. Now, there's only one problem. There's no way that man can live up to her expectations. And what he sees, give it a few years, it's going to change. And that's why people fall in and fall out of love. When true biblical love, if you want to put it into a relationship shouldn't be dependent upon either of those things. And we have the example of God and we have to understand that the source of true love is the very person, the very presence of God, the very person of Jesus Christ. This is the source of true love. 1 John chapter 4, Uh, Verses 8 and 16, how many times do do I quote these verses in sermons? God is love. So how do I translate that into the difference between an imitation love and a real love? Well, very simply, a real love incorporates the presence of God if a husband and wife truly love each other in the fullest and most complete biblical sense of the word, they're going to understand from the get-go, from before they walk down the aisle and say, I do, to each other, that it is going to take much more than just a personal commitment from me to you and from you to me. It is going to take a commitment to God as individuals to keep a relationship with Him that will bleed over or fully encompass the relationship we have together. Are we still together on that? Hello? Now that doesn't happen very often outside two people who are truly dedicated to the Word of God. And that's one of the reasons we encourage this. Here's, here's what the Bible says. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God. What, what John is simply saying is, I can't truly love others until I love God first because it is keeping God's commandments. It, and the next verse that we look at, verse three, the next verse that follows that says, And those commandments are not grievous. It is that willful submission to the Word of God in obedience that allows me to truly love another human being. It's I have to go to God and get something to give. That's why we run out of things. How many of you have ever run out of patience with another human being? We all have, haven't we? You know why? Because we're trying to give something that is ours. And I promise you, you're going to run out of you. You can't help it. What feels so warm and ardent and so fulfilling and so satisfying? There's going to come a time when you run out of you. But, on the other hand, if I am constantly going to God and understanding His love and getting His love in my life, I will never run out of love to give or to share with others. Are we still together? You see... The Bible says that we're to keep ourselves in God's love. How do we do that? Well, if you love God, you keep His commandments. So, it's got to be an attachment somewhere to this book. Amen? Amen? How many people have done utterly horrible things and then tried to blame it on love? I mean... Terrible, terrible things people have done oh i just I just love my children too much. I just couldn't say no to them. That is not love. that is selfishness. I think I have a little experience with children and I'll tell you this, when they grow up and become adults, I'm still dead. The relationship changes, especially when the daughter's marry. I mean, you take that hand at the altar and put it in that hand of that worth no, that wonderful young, no, just teasing, honest my wife made me start when Sarah was two. She said, you better start now or you're going to be the meanest man in the world. Yeah, she's right. No, when you turn that authority over to that young man, things change. But guess what? I'm never going to stop being dead. Because that's the position that God gave me. And God never stops being God. And we've got to go to Him, and we've got to understand that if I'm going to keep myself in the love of God, I've got to stay obedient to His commandments. And none of us, I love the song that we sang. Uh, the old account was there. I settled that account. Yes, I settled that account once and forever on the day I got saved. It's kind of like the difference in accounting between the cash method and the accrual method. How many know what I'm talking about? Uh, in, in accrual, you you don't count it until it's actually spent. Well, In God's mind, it was all spent before he said, let there be light. But in cash accounting, it comes in, I count it. It goes out, I count it. Uh, Negatively, of course, when it goes out. But the simple truth is, God allows us to do both. He, in his love, in his foresight, in his greatness... Forgave us for all sins before the world began. He knew who would be saved and who wouldn't. That's where the, the Reformed people, the Calvinists, get all worked up trying to explain how God knew that we could be saved before we were born. You know, it's so simple. If you'll just let it, God knows. Amen? And God has never forced anyone to make a choice. He gives us freedom to choose, even to choose to reject Him. That doesn't injure God at all. It sure injures the person that rejects Him. But we need to keep ourselves in God's love. Now the examples. Romans 5.8 But God commendeth His love toward us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And this has just been something uh, 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 that I've repeated often and I hope that you don't ever tire hearing this. Only God can love that way. We as human beings, we cannot do that. Only God can love that way. And He has. And that is the greatest example. The greatest love that we can have is that it says, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You know what? That's why I constantly try to remind our church, you, you need to pray for our police officers that are out there in the street. You know why? Because they're putting their life on the line every day. Same with our firemen and even some of our paramedics. It's a dangerous, dangerous job to do those things. We need to pray for them. Uh, I would dare say that many of, of, of our police officers and our military personnel really don't sit down and go... You know, I I love my country and I love my family so much. I'm willing to do this. But that's what they're doing. And they continually do that. I mean, stop. Sometimes you need to just think of all the garbage that our police officers have to put up with day in and day out. But that's why we need to pray for them. But our love, our love will reach its greatest level when we are willing to lay down our life. And you don't have to die sometimes to, to be here. Look at the next passage here. Christ is trying to help us understand something. It says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. Now, let's just turn there to Ephesians 5 and get the rest of that verse. Because there's some important things in there for us. It says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. And what's that last phrase say? Let's read it out loud together. Here we go. And gave himself for it. You know, when you enter a true love relationship, there's some things that you've got to give up. If you are one of those people who say, well, that, that's just not my part in life. When, when people become my friends, they're the ones that give up. That's uh... You ever been around somebody like that? I'll tell you what, that's not love, my friend. It's not love at all. And it's not a 50 50 proposition. Well, I'll give in a little bit here and give in a little bit there. No. It's a 100 100 proposition, it's a total surrender. If you'll stop and think about it, if you love this church, guess what? There's some things you have to surrender to. One is listening to me preach. Being in the services, giving, being faithful and passing out tracts and inviting people. There's lots of things. It changes your life. And that's a good thing. You see, love is the cure. It is the solution. As long as you are in love with the right thing how many people are in love with their job and they surrender everything they have so they can climb that corporate ladder I remember the story of uh, Jack Caldwell he was a preacher friend of mine Uh, he actually older He uh, had sons older than I am and he told the story of how that he was climbing that corporate ladder he had a he was the general manager of a plant that produced, uh, I'll tell you how old this was, uh, bodies for cars. The chassis. Uh, they no longer, they haven't built a chassis for a car in almost 40 years. But it used to be that they built the frames in a shop and then put all the sheet metal on top of it. And hit the factory he ran had 500 men building frames or chassis for vehicles. They had a strike. And he had to go through all that strife. And he later told me he was pastoring a church in Baltimore, Maryland. And He said, "It's ten times much more work to pastor a church than it was to run that plant full of auto workers." And uh, he said, "But I, I love my work, and I wouldn't do anything else. I was," he said, "I was dedicated. I was going to get that corner office." He said, then I got saved. And I realized all those things that I was giving my life for was not worth anything close to hearing him say, well done. And Brother Caldwell's with the Lord today. And I'll tell you, his example was a wonderful thing. You, okay, love is a verb. Even when we talk about it in the noun sense, use it as a noun, a quality, there's still got to be action attached to it. If you say you love something and nothing in your life changes, I'm going to say that that's not biblical love. Because things have to change. If I love the Word of God, I'm going to keep his commandments. You know what? It's not natural to keep any of the commandments of Christ, is it? It's something that must be done on purpose. And the key to loving other people is loving God first. If I were obedient to all of God's commandments, I would automatically love everybody around me. Just can't be helped. Does that mean I feel warm and ushy gushy inside every time? No, no, that's not love. And so now, let's look at a biblical study of love, and I hope we can put a summary on this thing uh, and still have you out of here on time. And of course, we can't cover everything in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, the um, The translators of our Bible took the Greek word agape, which is love, which is translated love in several different passages. But when it came to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, they used a different English word. They used the word charity. And so I brought the definitions here and just printed them out of the Oxford English Dictionary here. The first definition of the word charity, interestingly enough, is Christian love. A word representing keratos of the Vulgate or the Latin as a frequent rendering of agape is how you would pronounce it in the New Testament Greek with various applications, God's love to man. Early writers often identified with the Holy Spirit. The actual presence of the Holy Spirit in in many of the ancient writings, not in the Bible, but we're talking about the Holy Spirit in love were used synonymously now the second definition of the word charity without any specially christian associations love kindness affection natural affection now especially with some notes notion of generous or spontaneous goodness that's why they call them charitable organizations because they're supposed to do something The working definition I like to give the word charity is simply this. It's love in action. It's what love does. And that's what this chapter in our Bible talks about. You see, look at verse 31 of chapter 12. It says, But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show I unto you a more excellent way. Paul says, was writing to the church of Corinth. There was strife going on. There were people rubbing each other the wrong way. Uh, There was problems there. There were people wanting to exercise themselves in the church and serve in the church in a way uh, that excluded other people from service in the church. And and they were trying to come up with uh, spiritual gifts, and when they didn't have them, they were manufacturing them. And uh, which is often the case today. And we don't have time to deal with all of this thing called spiritual gifts. But a spiritual gift is something that the Holy Spirit gives or someone, if we read Ephesians chapter 4, for service in the church. If it's not being used in the church to serve God, it is not a spiritual gift. Talents, many people have talents. Talents are not spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are given by the Spirit to be exercised in the church exclusively. And he says, desire those things, covet is the word he uses, he said, but I'm going to show you a more excellent way. Instead of trying and striving for service, he says, let me show you the way it's really supposed to be done. And then he goes on, and we'll, we'll just again very quickly here. He says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity... I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Now, I want you to see that Everything that Paul says here is not a bad thing. They're actually good things. Is it not good to be able to communicate, especially the Bible, in a positive fashion? That's a good thing, is it not? To know and understand, to have faith, is that not a good thing? All of these things are good. To give of ourselves. We just got done making the connection. Love to giving. God loved the world. He gave. You see, here's where the imitation comes in contrast with the real. And here's where it is so absolutely impossible for us as human beings at times to discern between false love, imitation love, and real love, because we're doing all the same things. We can do the right things, especially, I've, I've, every one of my children we've sent to Bible college have had to uh, thoroughly explain to them, listen, it's easy to, to look like a Christian at Heartland Baptist Bible College. In fact, if you don't look like a Christian, you're going to be the weirdo. You're going to be the outcast. If you're not trying to serve God, if you're not talking about the right things, you're the weirdo on campus. But that doesn't mean just because you're doing things right that you are right. And I don't know how many people when someone comes to church, I said, "Listen." Uh, they say, "Well, I'm thinking about becoming a member of the church." I said, "You have to realize one thing: we're all human beings. There's, you don't don't allow the human factor to take your eyes off Jesus Christ. We're a bunch of redeemed sinners." Trying to serve Christ. And is it possible in our desire to serve Christ that we could err into the realm of false charity even though the main goal of our life is moving towards true charity? Of course it is. And then he goes on, Paul goes on to describe how love really ought to be manifest in our life. Charity suffereth long in his kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. Charity is never looking for recognition. That's what that word means. It's not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own. How many people do good things hoping to get something in return? This is the entire lie of the purpose-driven life movement is that I do these things for God so I can get something back. The name it and claim it crowd. uh, You turn on TVN. God becomes nothing more than a slot machine. You just keep pulling the handle every time you pray and hopefully one of these days you're going to hit the jackpot and God will give you everything you want. No. Charity doesn't seek its own. Because if we love Him, we keep His commandments. If I'm keeping His commandments, who, who's, who am I seeking? Jesus, not me. We're still together. You see, this is the way charity is supposed to behave. It says, "Is not e- easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity." but rejoiceth in truth, beareth all things. It doesn't say most things or until you've had enough or until you can't stand anymore. It says beareth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. Can I ask you a question? If I were to take out the word charity and put the word God in there or Jesus... Would it work? Let's try it real quick. God suffereth long in his kind. God envieth not. God vaunteth not himself. God is not puffed up. God does not behave himself unseemly. God does not seek his own. God is not easily provoked. God thinketh no evil. God rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in truth. God beareth all things. God believeth all things. God hopeth all things. God endureth all things. God never faileth. You see, John was not just saying something nice. We can put a little smiley face on a track and say God is love. Everything we know about true love We know because of the character and the behavior of God. Can we say amen to that? And God wants that love. He wants His presence active in our life. But we can do everything that we're supposed to do in our own human efforts. We can do things trying to get recognition. Trying to have people look at us. You see, God is love. And so, what I want to ask a question for us to think about as we have dealt with so many things in this, it all comes down to this. We must constantly examine our lives. Am I doing what I'm doing as a result, as a byproduct, as a growth of my love relationship with God? Or, Am I doing what I'm doing to somehow curry or gain God's favor or love? Do you see the difference? You see, the seed of all false religion is trying to get God to love me. the basis of all true religion is living in the love that God has already given me. One sets me free. The other one binds me stronger than any chains or bars that have ever been invented or cast by mankind. And I will tell you that love the bible tells us love is connected to our heart. And what is our heart? Deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And yet what is the one story the world always follow your heart. Don't follow your heart it leads to hell, my friend. I have to follow Jesus. Don't look for feelings when God has already given us behavior, things to do. And yet, if I find myself grieving, oh, I've got to read my Bible. Well, that ought to be a red flashing siren that something's wrong. i got to go to church. Wait a minute, something's wrong. i, I got to get baptized? Well, wasn't what I got already good enough? Uh, wait a minute, if you love me, what? Can I, can I say this? Well, I'm going to, because it's Bible. I got a problem following that pastor. He just doesn't do things the way I like to do it. Can I, can I tell you, that's a problem with love in the Word of God. Because we're supposed to serve God, and the pastor has the job leading the church. It's just that simple. And when we got a problem there, we got a problem with the Bible, and in essence, with God and with love. That's why I say you want a better pastor, pray for him. God will answer that prayer. And so often, the way God does that is not change what we think the problem is. He changes us. Amen? You see, everything we deal with in our life is connected to what the Bible calls love. And when we have a love malfunction, we have to understand that it is not God... It is us having a problem defining or differentiating, separating between the imitation of love and the true love that the Bible talks about. You see, the true love always works. God always works, never fails. When we run out, when we reach the end of our endurance, we've got to understand something. There's a problem with love. You say, well, I I just have a problem. The Bible says I'm supposed to love my enemies. I don't feel good about them. Well, the Bible doesn't say feel good about your enemies. The Bible says love them. Well, if God is love, the most wonderful thing I can do if I want to love somebody is share God with them. Isn't that true? The only problem is that really infuriates some of these enemies. But if I'm going to stand accused in the docket of the world, let me be judged as being faithful to God. And in my faithfulness to God, I have offended the world. You see, it starts here. If you don't have a real Bible, if you don't have an authoritative Bible, you're never going to know what love is. You're never going to get there. If you're not willing to be obedient to the things the Bible says to be obedient to, that's what Jesus meant when He said, if you love Me, keep My commandments. And this is the love of God. We keep His commandments. His commandments are not grievous. If I'm walking a little funny, it's because my back is very, very sore from lifting floor joists over Union. I'm doing what I'm doing because I want to see God uh, keep that church alive. Love sometimes hurts. Amen? It changes you. If there's anything I wish I weren't doing, it's lugging around 70 pound pieces of wood. But if we don't put them in place, nothing else is going to be in place, is it, Andrew? And we got a good start to the floor. We just got to finish it. But it works that way in every relationship with other human beings, Inside the church, inside a marriage, inside a family. And I want to challenge you, it is so easy, it is so easy to take a substitute love, an imitation love, rather than the real love. Because with the imitation, I can get all the feelings and all the emotions none of the effort. Sometimes when I get the effort, it kind of drowns out the emotions every once in a while. But that's okay. Because love is not an emotion. Love is a verb. Love is technically a quality when it's used as a noun but in order to get to that state of being that quality that is spoken of there are things that have to be done you can't get there by accident and if they're done for the wrong reasons it's like building a building without a foundation it's all going to fall in on itself because it costs too much to have that kind of interaction with another human being or with God himself. Only God can make love work. And all God's people said, Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight and Lord, we just ask that you would allow each of us to examine ourselves and our motives and who and what we are and Lord, not this worldly introspection and, and, and how do I feel about this and what was I really thinking kind of foolishness, Lord. But we would let your word do the examining. We would let your word do the convicting. We would let your word be the authority of our behavior and show us what we were doing was wrong or prove what we were doing was right. Lord, we pray that you would give us Holy Spirit discernment not to be satisfied with an imitation when we could have true, real love. Lord, we ask that you would work in each of our hearts as we walk through this life, that we would not accept an imitation. But we would want truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's just keep our heads bowed. We'll have the piano playing.